Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I have to admit, and maybe you're like me on this, there's never a time in which I feel more like a loser. I'm a dad of a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old, and there's sometimes when I just really want them to know something, and I try to like get down their level, and I try to talk to them, and I try to work really, really hard to be as clear as I possibly can be. And sometimes I think I have really sort of distilled this down to the couple of sentences that truly matter. I'm going to be very clear to my children, give them the message I need for them to understand. And they just sort of stare back at me like they have no idea what I'm talking about. And when I am unsuccessful in delivering a clear message, I just get really, really frustrated about that. I sort of feel like a, like a loser a little bit. I also coach a lot of teams. My son's baseball team. I've coached you know, teams for my daughters over the years there as well. And there's definitely a lot of that that goes on in coaching where – you kind of want to make a point sometimes or you kind of want to make sort of a bigger picture observation and you realize, okay, as an adult, I can't talk like an adult to these kids. I've got to talk on a level they understand. And sometimes you do think you are doing that and yet you still sort of have fidgety kids not really listening or people sort of staring at you but not really following what you're saying. And you're like, I thought I had this delivered clearly, but apparently I did not because people are sort of staring back at me like they don't know what I'm talking about. Like, there's never a moment in which I feel like I have taken an L more so than that. I feel like a little bit of a loser when I'm trying to be clear and it's just not working. And I think there's why that's why also in like the world of politics, we don't talk politics in the show, but one of the things that you hear sometimes in politics, when you're on the campaign trail and you're delivering your message and you're giving the same speech over and over again, if something you say kind of gets sort of uh, misunderstood or if somebody kind of takes it the wrong way or if somebody just flat out gets offended by it and you have to go back and kind of clarify your remarks there's a phrase in politics sometimes that if you're explaining you're not winning if you're having to go back and say well what i actually meant was blah 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 if you're having to explain yourself then you're not winning you're off message and you're kind of sideways energy and you're just sort of in the rut compared to what you really want to be is delivering a clear and effective message and I think we've seen some of that uh, with Nick Saban. Now, yesterday we had a ton of fun with Nick Saban and the whole rebuilding thing and the latest excuse as it relates to Nick Saban and losing the national championship to Georgia. And we kind of had our fun with all of that. But since we did that on yesterday's show, a little bit more has kind of blown up about this. And I think it's another example here for Nick Saban, the fact that once again, this offseason, this has been a bit of a weird offseason for Nick Saban. Once again, he sort of found himself in the position of having to explain himself. And for a guy like Saban, who's kind of the leader of the sport, it doesn't seem like he's led himself very well, at least when it comes to his own personal comments thus far this offseason. The stuff involving the rebuilding year is sort of the latest example of that. So let me very quickly, for the folks who may have been you know, kind of uh, checked out yesterday, let me give you the comment that sort of started a, a good bit of chatter, including a lot of this from Georgia fans. Saban on with WJOX, sports radio station in Birmingham, basically just sort of shrugging off what happened a year ago as – you know, a little more than just a, a, a rebuilding year. That was the phrase that Saban used from the radio earlier this week. Take a listen. Last year we had kind of a rebuilding year, so we should have nine starters back on offense, nine on defense, but six guys go out early for the draft, so now we have five back on offense and seven back on defense. So 
that in and of itself creates a few more question marks, but it also creates opportunity for other players to be able to shine in the program and contribute in a positive way. So nobody knows for sure how all this stuff's going to sort of come to fruition, but that, that's the part of the excitement and challenge that we have to try to develop a team. So for Georgia fans, they got real fired up about this because to them, what Saban said there sounded a lot like, ah, oh, you know, we had injuries and ah, oh, you know, this and ah, oh, you know, that. And there's been so much of that during the offseason. I'm not going to go back and kind of rehash all that from yesterday, but clearly Georgia fans like the idea of Saban in kind of the position of sort of having to squirm and explain himself away and, and, and do all those kinds of things. I think a lot of Georgia fans kind of like the idea of, of, um, of Nick Saban kind of being in that position. We had some fun with that. So much so, there's been so much chatter related to this, that when Saban did like Kirby Smart did, and by the way, we'll get to the start of the UGA practice in a moment, but when, when Saban had his introductory press conference kind of kick off Alabama um uh, practices yesterday he was in the position of kind of having to explain himself for why it was that um you know that that he was talking about the idea of a rebuilding year you know what did you mean by that when you said all that Saban in the position of having to explain himself yesterday I thought this was interesting here's Nick Saban I don't understand what's so hard to understand when the point being we were young and we should have nine starters back on offense and nine starters back on defense. That's the point I was trying to make. Six guys went out for the draft. So as we usually have to do, we have lots of rebuilding to do again this season. So that's the point that I was trying to make. So when you have a lot of young players playing, I don't think our standard is like everybody else's standard, but when you have a lot of young players playing, you're actually trying to rebuild so those guys get the kind of experience you need so they can play at the level you need them to play at so you can play to the standard you want to play to. So isn't this interesting? Nick Saban, once again this offseason, in the position of having to say, what I actually meant was, it's just like what happened with the, blust, with the dust up with Jimbo Fisher. Saban kind of got hot-headed and you know shot off his mouth and Jimbo Fisher got mad back and then Saban had to say well actually what I meant was blah 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 and if you heard something different then you just sort of took it the wrong way now pushing aside the fact that Saban has a little bit of a habit of what you call gaslighting which is sort of just sort of you know <laughs> pretending like the truth is something completely different before it really is but we'll sort of push that aside uh maybe for another day but the point here is just like the stuff with Jimbo Fisher the stuff related to the is it a rebuilding year or not Saban kind of in the position of doing the kind of thing that he never has had to really do Saban doesn't have to explain himself very much because until recently no one ever really pushes back on Saban Saban just sort of gets to say what he wants to say and everyone sort of treats whatever he says as the gospel because by by all means this is Nick Saban all of a sudden you sort of see that facade maybe starting to crack a little bit here this offseason and that doesn't necessarily mean that Alabama won't be the best team in the country for 2022 obviously they might be they're going to be the preseason number one team but in terms of Saban's own confidence I think you're left to wonder well how much of that really is the case if he is as excuse making and uh you know forced to sort of backtrack and explain himself and clarify his words as much as he's had to thus far this offseason now here is the important point here it's not just Georgia fans who didn't like the whole rebuilding remark, although Georgia fans definitely did not like it. It's not just Georgia fans who didn't like this. 
I mean, even a guy like Paul Feinbaum, who was sort of made you know his you know, living carrying Saban's water for for as long as he has. Even a guy like Paul Feinbaum went on ESPN this week and also had a pretty harsh criticism of the things that Saban had to say. So if you're a Georgia fan, you kind of wonder, wait, is this just sort of homerish? Is this just sort of, you know, all of us looking through this through the lens of red and black colored glasses, kind of getting worked up over the idea of Nick Saban saying that this was a rebuilding year, kind of diminishing the accomplishment of what Georgia achieved a year ago? I think the words from Paul Feinbaum on ESPN are an example that, no, this actually was a little weird and very kind of conduct unbecoming for a guy like Saban, who's supposed to be a distinguished leader of men, that the whole excuse-making tirade that he's been on over the course of this offseason is certainly a standard beneath what you'd expect from him. Paul Feinbaum even said so, although Feinbaum also acknowledged that actually this is kind of the kind of thing that Saban's done in the past. This is actually pretty good stuff from ESPN. This is very predictable if you follow Nick Saban closely. Whenever he loses a game, like a national championship game, here comes the excuse. Here comes the Nick Saban grievance tour. I mean, sometimes I don't know whether Nick Saban is trying to continue to be the greatest coach of all time or he wants Jimmy Kimmel's job. Uh, I mean, I, I don't really understand it because... Quite, quite frankly, at some point, it's not a great look. And I know that that's not a popular thing to say where I live because Nick Saban can do no wrong. But, uh, you know, first it was NIL that he was complaining about over and over. And, and now he's quibbling about uh, what happened last year. And, th- and by the way, Greeny, uh, in the past, you can go back into the record book. Every time he loses one of these games, he called a, he called the Sugar Bowl a couple of years ago a consolation game. He blamed the NFL draft on the loss to Ohio State when, when Ezekiel Elliott was there. There's always something with Nick Saban but we still love him don't we I mean have you ever heard Saban criticized like that by Paul Feinbaum and of course you're a Georgia fan you're sort of left to wonder what it all means and maybe it means nothing you know maybe this is the kind of thing we just sort of do to pass the time in August until the season begins in a few weeks and it likely will all be forgotten once storylines start to emerge for the 2022 season but if you're a Georgia fan and you kind of wonder what the value of your national championship was a year ago the fact that Saban has at least been diminished enough that he could be criticized on ESPN television for some of the things that he said is an example of the fact that, yeah, Georgia did something pretty big a year ago. Now, if you're wondering, Kirby Smart was asked about the idea that Georgia might be in its own rebuilding year here this year. He was asked about that yesterday. You can go to the Dog Nation YouTube page and see the entire press conference for yourself. And Smart sort of does what he you know did what he always does, which is sort of sidestep the entire thing. He's not going to give into the narrative. He's not going to push back against the Saban thing. He's literally not going to participate in that in any form or fashion. And that's just kind of the example of one of the ways in which, even if it's like you sort of wish you would say something more interesting, it's the kind of strategy that's worked well for Smart before. And it's not really a surprise. He did the same thing yesterday, even after this controversy, to the degree that it is a controversy, was kind of blowing up around Nick Saban. It is an example of the younger Smart no longer being the pupil. He's no longer learning from Nick Saban because in areas like this, it seems like he's actually doing it better than Nick Saban. And he also beat him head-to-head on the field last year, too. It was one of two Saban assistants to beat him. Jimbo Fisher beat him on the field in the regular season, and Kirby Smart beat him when it counts. I don't think you have to look very hard to see evidence that Nick Saban doesn't like this world very much at all. Now, everybody's going to tell you, that's why he's geared up for revenge this year. He's recruiting well, and he's loading up, and he's not rebuilding anymore. He brought in a bunch of transfers, and they're ready to go out there and do it. Well, Maybe it is that simple. Or maybe it's not. Maybe he looks over Kirby Smart, who was once his, you know, lieutenant, and then his 
you know, guy just kind of getting started in his coaching career and, you know, he saw a young coach that he felt like he still had the advantage over. But when Saban looks at Smart now, do you think he still sees that advantage? Do you still think he sees that easy opportunity to exploit what may at one point in time been an inexperienced head coach? After the actions of 2021, the, the result of that season, I don't think he can see that that way anymore. I think you get the sense this offseason that the new world in which Nick Saban's forced to live makes him just a little bit uncomfortable. And if you're a UGA fan, Saban being uncomfortable is the kind of thing I think you really ought to enjoy. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Good morning to you, and thanks to Kroger for making it all possible. And thanks to you for being here, whether you check us out at 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app, or 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. Uh, we're just glad to have you on video or on the radio at noon on Appen Sports Radio 960 The Ref or as a podcast wherever you find them, including the worldfamousdognation.com, posting them all the various platforms. Just really happy to have you as a part of the show. And want to, as I said before, say a very special thank you to our friends at Kroger for making it all possible. A couple of things for you to be aware of when it comes to Kroger, including a really cool thing they're teaming up to do with the Atlanta Braves involving their Kroger Chef Jr. program. Because what Kroger Chef Jr. the Braves are going to do is make your experience at Truist Park a little bit sweeter coming up on Sunday, August 21st. So coming up here very soon, when you purchase a specialty package, you're going to receive a Braves game ticket and access to make your own ice cream sundae. Part of me wonders, can you be an adult and still do this, or do you have to be a kid to take advantage of all this? Well, it says for kids 14 and under, they can attend the ice cream social and take the Kroger Chef Junior apron, hat, and goodie bag home with them. So I want you to go to the website. It's braves.com slash Kroger Chef Junior for more details. That's braves.com slash Kroger Chef Junior for a lot more on all of that. Uh, I should say, let me, let me give the right address. It's braves.com slash kcj kcj standing for Kroger chef jr kcj braves.com slash kcj for more on all of that and you can make sure you check that out today really fun stuff going on with the braves and Kroger chef jr coming up on august 21st braves.com slash kcj for a lot more on that also while i've got your attention we've had a great week here this week giving out our Kroger five-star kid winners. That's been such a fun thing to be able to do. And honestly, I love the way that Kroger allows us to do this. We love celebrating good stories in our audience, and we got so many submissions. And honestly, if I had my way, we'd give a Kroger five-star uh, kid winner to every single one of them because you know, clearly and obviously each one is deserving. But we could only draw five at random. And today, to kind of close things out, we actually have a pair of twins who are going to be our winners today. Hannah and Ivalee King are our winners today for our final Kroger five-star uh, kids. And the nomination, uh, both nine years old, and they run their own neighborhood food collection in the summer, which is kind of cool. Uh, they put a lot of work into it uh, because they wanted to help people in need, which is an amazing thing. How about this? They were able to deliver a full carload of food and hygiene supplies to the Good Samaritan Fo uh, Food Ministry in Gainesville, Georgia. And no, they are not winning simply because they did this in my hometown of Gainesville, Georgia, but I am so happy to see uh, Gainesville well-represented here. Here. They also love to volunteer at the food ministry and hand out bags of food to people in need that we come across in the public. So congratulations to Hannah and Ivy Lee. Uh, what an amazing uh, story and your sort of commitment to community service and taking care of those in need is truly inspiring and really what the Kroger Five Star Kids program is all about. So congratulations to all of you. Uh, for that I, I just am uh, so happy to be able to celebrate you all today two great twins uh, and doing some great things in the community and obviously as you're getting ready for a back to school our friends at Kroger have got you covered on all of that so you're going back my kids are back a lot of folks getting ready to go here snacks 
lunches, everything else at your local Kroger. You can do all of that. All right, so let's get ready to uh, do this. We're going to go around the doghouse here for a moment. And very happy to welcome in a brand new sponsor for Around the Doghouse here today. It's Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. Obviously, a, a great collection of real estate agents across our state doing great work for folks, helping them with their uh, buying needs and their selling needs. And they can do the same thing for you. So we're so happy to have Berkshire Hathaway Home Services on board with us here on uh, a dog nation daily and around the dog house here today that's really exciting and something else that i'm really excited about too and i want to talk to you about here for a couple of minutes is i would really encourage you to read connor riley's practice report from dognation.com yesterday i thought connor did a great job of giving you the sort of eyewitness perspective of that brief viewing period where the media gets to watch practice but you know some things can be learned now it's important to know that what we saw now we i wasn't there but we collectively those of us who are the in part of the coastal elite media what we saw yesterday could change maybe the next time or maybe when we're not watching they do things a little bit differently but as of yesterday there was a lot that was observed and connor did a good job chronicling and writing about all of that one thing in particular that i thought was really interesting to look at what's happening with the georgia as it was observed yesterday first team offensive line and once again Georgia is many weeks away from playing a game. Smart was very clear about <laughs> saying that over and over again during his uh, press conference yesterday. They're not, they're not getting into a season prep for Oregon yet. They're just trying to work on themselves right now. So we may see a number of offensive line combinations and probably will. But for yesterday, during the media viewing period, the two offensive tackles were, as you would expect, Broderick Jones and Warren McClendon. The center was, as you would expect, Cedric Von Prahn Granger. And the two guards, and I told Mike Griffith this on Wednesday, that I know it's not the sexiest topic. I realize it's not the most engaging type of thing. You know, the ESPN shows like First Take and things like that, uh, Get Up, that we kind of played some audio from a moment ago. They don't get into offensive guards. They talk quarterbacks and, for the most part, quarterbacks alone. Uh, but, you know, around here, we're pretty deeply, you know, uh, interested Georgia fans. We're pretty, you know, kind of tied into everything. And for a lot of us, what happens for Georgia along that offensive line is, as we've said over and over during the offseason, it's one of the places where Georgia, I think, has maybe the best opportunity for a value add this upcoming season. If you want to be better offensively, that's something that Todd Munkin has done in each of his two seasons as Georgia offensive coordinator. And if you want to take that next step forward in Munkin's third year, getting elite play from your offensive line is certainly one of the areas in which I think that can happen, which means cultivating two great guards from a competition here right now. And with that in mind, I thought it was very interesting yesterday to hear Tate Ratledge back, healthy enough to be working there along the right side as right guard. And on the left side, it's Devin Willick, at least based on what was observed yesterday with Xavier Trust kind of working behind him, behind him at the number two spot. Now, let me tell you why I think this is interesting. For a couple of reasons. First of all, because you know Willick is one of those guys that's a little bit of a diamond in the rough in some respects that's not a guy that was as big a recruit as some of the names we might mention not as big a recruit as Xavier Trust was at one point in time he was probably like what the greatest high school player Rhode Island's ever produced or something along those lines uh you know Willick not necessarily the same variety so if he's playing well enough to push trust as much or playing well enough performing well enough in summer workouts things like that to be ahead of trust right now all that means is that a little extra spice and energy has been added to that guard comp uh, you know, competition, and that's what uh, Willick sort of provides. But here's the other thing that I think is kind of interesting about this. We know on the right side, if healthy, not only is Tate Ratledge a good and capable player, but we also know a little bit about what his playing personality is. Some of you saw him play in high school. Some of you knew him. Some of you, uh, you know, have just kind of seen this with your own eyes. 
Ratledge is a little bit of a street fighter. He's a little bit of a barroom brawler, which is what I and I mean this in a complimentary way, which is sort of what you need the the guard position to be. You, you, that's not a pretty position, right? That's not pretty stuff. That's that's you know get down there, get mean, get nasty, and that's just what Tate Ratledge has really done. Those of you who saw him play in high school, you know that's kind of what his personality is. I think he kind of brought some of that with him to George. He's got the long flowing mullet, wearing sixty nine. He sort of has that kind of edge about him a little bit. You know, this is this is you know a little bit of an edgy looking dude, a little bit, and that's kind of what you want your guard position to be. And the sense that I get is, is Devin Willick maybe a little bit like that himself on the left side? This is another guy that's not here to look pretty. He's here to, you know, do a job, which is, you know, kind of a mean, nasty type job. You got to get in there and fight a little bit. You got to get in there and be willing to kind of get dirty a little bit. And I, I get the impression that Willick might be a version of that there as well. That the one thing we've said all, all over and over again is that the potential that can be unlocked from Georgia is just create a little more explosive run opportunities. You know, open up a hole wide enough that the five-yard run, maybe with one, you know, missed tackle can kind of turn to that 10 and 15-yard run. That's something that the Georgia running game, I would say, over the course of the last couple of years, maybe hasn't had to the degree that maybe it once did. Part of that's because it just throws it more and throws it better, but also because some of that just it just hasn't had as much of what it used to have. So two outstanding guards would certainly be a step forward there in that regard. And on the one side with Ratledge, you may be certainly on your way towards that. And Devin Willick, I think, becomes a very interesting name observed by our Connor Riley being there in the uh, left side of that, too. Now, for what it's worth, speaking of Connor, he had a chance to engage yesterday with Warren McClendon, the bedrock preseason first team all SEC offensive tackle for the dogs. And he asked him, hey, does it matter to you who are your guards, who you're working with there? I thought we got a little bit of an interesting exchange between Connor and McClendon about that guard competition. This was from yesterday, and I think it's pretty good. Take a listen to this. Does it matter? I don't think it matters, especially whoever. All five of us, you know, because we're all getting reps and we're all in practice. So, and we're, you know, we trust that our 2D, 3D can step in if they need to and play. Other guys that you feel more comfortable with, given, you know, you played next to Warren Erickson for, I think, 14 games last year. You played a little bit next to Tate to start the season. Other guys you feel more comfortable with, you know, in terms of passing off double teams, knowing protections, calling things out? Uh, you know, I feel comfortable with all the guards. You know, we take different reps with different people every day at practice. So that's just, you know, the nature of it. You know, it's pretty comfortable, though. Mm-hmm. So I think that's important from uh, McClendon there. A, he's not going to weigh in on the nature of the competition. The Georgia players just never really kind of do that kind of stuff. But he says, listen, we're working with guys all the time. But just because you've seen me play with Warren Erickson before, I think I actually was observed kind of working at center uh, yesterday in kind of that backup role, or you've seen me play with Xavier Trust in the past or, you know, whatever, uh, that, that you know, I'm actually comfortable working with a lot of these guys because we do a lot of rotating during practice. I think it's important to remember that, that you know, Talking about Ratledge, you're talking about Willick. This is not certainly a, a rubber stamp that now Devin Willick's your starter at left guard. That's not the case. But we've heard a lot of good things about him. We heard from him during the spring. He met with reporters back in March. And this appears to be kind of a real thing, that, that Willick is kind of a real factor here. And if his personality as a player is what I kind of assume it to be based on, you know, kind of what I have seen, kind of that sort of double tough guy the way that a Tate Ratledge might be for you if he's healthy enough there on the right side it's kind of a fun thing to consider for the Georgia offensive line as those two guards working on both sides of uh, Van Pran there in the middle could potentially open up a lot of holes for that UGA running game that 
is around the doghouse, as I told you before. Happy to welcome in today our friends from Berkshire Hathaway Home Services to this program, a part of Around the Doghouse. And of course, you love your own home there as well, or maybe you are in the market for a new home. Well, it's time to sell your old house or buy that new home. Our friends at Berkshire Hathaway Home Services are going to serve you on that. They've got agents all across the state of Georgia, and they're taking really good care of you, making that dream home a reality, making that move that sets you up for a great new job or a great new experience, a school opportunity for your kids whatever your story is whatever the reason why you're getting ready to make a move our friends at berkshire hathaway home services want to do that for you for you for your life and they're ready to do that for you here right now so we're going to talk a lot more about them over the course of our time in the future here but check them out online at bhhsgeorgia.com that's all spelled out the word georgia b hhsgeorgia.com for a lot more on our friends from Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, a great team of real estate agents ready to do great work for all of you. All right, so we are busy right now in everything as involves UGA with practice beginning yesterday with the preparation starting to unfold for the 2022 season. We're all over all of that. But the work involving UGA recruiting doesn't stop either. In fact, what is next for UGA recruiting in this 2023 or 2024 class? We're going to ask Jeff Sintel about that coming up in a moment. It is also decision day. We just talked a lot about interior offensive linemen. It's also decision day for another in-state interior offensive lineman, Connor Liu out of Kennesaw Mountain is going to get ready to make his college choice. And we'll find out from Jeff if this is a decision of note for UGA fans. And where do things stand with the offensive line recruiting here for the class of 2023? We'll do that with Jeff. And what's going on with a uh, pretty high-profile member of the 2023 class who all of a sudden finds his senior season in doubt? We'll cover all of that. It's Jeff Sintel here. Let's go on the road with him, assisted by AAA here on Dog Nation Daily today. and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead. Here's a DogNation.com insider. Boy, so much going on. Football season really across the state of Georgia with high school practices. They are taking place. You have a lot of scrimmages here tonight. You got a kind of a fun scrimmage between like say Kell and Rome and uh, really scrimmages all up and down the uh, the state here tonight. You got some tomorrow there as well. There was at least one last night. So it's here, folks. Football is taking place, and that means Georgia practice is there too. But that doesn't mean that things stop when it comes to the 2023 class for the dog. So with that in mind, let's go on the road. It's just by AAA with Jeff Sintel here today. Jeff, good morning. Thanks for being with us. Hope you're doing well. Hey, Brandon. Hey, man. Good morning, sir. Hope everybody's doing great. Happy Friday, y'all. Uh, so let's start with this. It is decision day for Connor Liu. This is, I think, a pretty impressive interior offensive lineman out of the Kennesaw Mountain program. Really kind of one of the cool stories in Georgia for this upcoming year. Uh, an 0-10 program a couple of years ago. We're kind of you know in the mix now for some pretty big things. Had a good year a season ago, too. Is the Liu announcement later on today a, a decision of note for Georgia in any way? Brennan, I think it's one of those things where you start looking at it. And uh, first of all, maybe the best center in the state, one of the best centers in the country. Uh, I think he's a 4.5 GPA, 3.55 power clean. Auburn, Georgia, Clemson, Miami. Yeah, I just look at that and I wonder if Georgia, you know, what role would he have on the Georgia roster? I mean, it looked like Georgia got two very uh, quality uh, interior OL center prospects last year and Drew Bobo and Griffin Scroggs. Um, I mean, he's going to be a heck of a pickup, Kennesaw Mountain. You're right, Brandon. That's one of the better stories in the state. Like where they've picked up a couple of playmakers at receiver as well. Um, but, you know, Connor Lou, I think the decision is going to be around 645 tonight. And 
George will be one of the hats on the table. Auburn, Miami, Clemson there as well. Somebody's going to get a very good one. So with that in mind, let's stay on the topic of offensive line for a moment then, regardless of whatever Lou ends up doing. I guess George got a chance to host Monroe Freeling last week, and you know, there just continues to be for I think a lot of Georgia fans, you know, the discussion of okay, you know, what is like the state of the pipeline of talent into this position group? I don't think anyone would say that Georgia is lacking in talent right now. I mean, you know, Connor uh, Riley, our colleague, kind of wrote about the two deep yesterday, and obviously there's a lot of very talented guys and both you know the guys working with the first and second team offensive line at Georgia practice yesterday, but the need to keep that pipeline going is certainly something that Georgia fans are paying pretty close attention to and I believe it's something you and I've talked about before ourselves a little bit here there as well so with Freeling having I guess been there last weekend and obviously a lot of eyes kind of you know on this position group right now what do you think the current state of Georgia offensive line recruiting is yeah Brandon it's one of those things I guess we're going to quietly condense it to like you know one of the things that are recruiting staple I think for 2023 Offensive tackle is an opportunity not position. That's even though you look at the current roster right now, and I think Kirby Smart even alluded to it yesterday in his opening fall presser. He thinks he has more tackles right now than he does guards. Well, Kirby won't be saying that next year because I think he'll probably lose uh, Broderick Jones and Warren McClendon to the NFL draft. A couple of that depth um, surplus at tackle is actually going to moonlight at guard this year. It might even become full-time guard. I think Georgia got a future starter, a great future starter in Ernest Green the third last year. So 2023, right in the cycle, very frankly, is where you load back up at tackle after, you know, a couple of lean years. You know, Marius Mims will roll in there. That's part of the great depth at tackle right now. But maybe next year starters are Green and Marius Mims. But going forward, you would probably turn over Marius Mims the next year. That's why Monroe Freeling, man, is so important. He's a top 75 overall recruit. He can think the position well. He's aggressive. He's big. He can do reverse dunks, Brandon. His mom is a almost a master yoga instructor. Monroe does, does yoga on um, game days. He's out of Charleston, South Carolina. I know the whole world is still worried about Bo Hughley right now in Georgia. My feeling for the longest time, Brandon, is he's going to have his fun. His recruitment is going to look a lot like Broderick Jones, but I've never seen – uh, Bo Hughley is a guy that would split from this class or not eventually land in this class. I know folks like to speculate that, and everybody everybody's out there thinking and wondering about Bo, but um, I just got the feeling that Bo's a kid that likes this stuff going on right now. He likes the attention. Meanwhile, you got a guy in Monroe Freeling in Georgia. It's one of the four big positions I thought that they needed to reload into the 2023 class. Offensive tackles, one of those. Wide receivers, one of those. Um, so that's, you know, edge guys is one of those big ones as well. But Freeling, he just took a big visit, Brandon. He's going to still leave another visit on the table for Georgia in the fall for an official visit. And that decision, I'm not saying it's coming imminently, but that decision might come quicker than most things. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's one to watch. And, you know, the sense that those of us who kind of try to follow this stuff on the internet, you know, it seemed like there was a lot of energy around Hughley and, oh, you know, Auburn fans were getting fired up and then it sort of fizzled out. Like, how much of that is the the actual real story of, of kind of what went on there? Because, I mean, there were a lot of a lot of, a lot of talk this past weekend. Oh, you know, Bo Hughley, Auburn, whatever. And then it just sort of seemed like it kind of stopped. Uh, what did exactly go on there that you can tell us? I mean, it's just kind of head-scratching, Brandon. You really look at it. And it's a thing where Hughley been committed to Georgia for forever. Basically, right after the UAB game last year, he had a 
special, a very uh, heartfelt, genuine commitment video, commitment things, commitment feelings. And he's just a playful young man. He's fun. He's a little bit more serious this year. It means a lot more to him now. Football means a lot more to him now. But I'm going to get right down to the nitty-gritty on it, Brandon. Uh, if this is a young man that would flip from the national champion with probably the most secure coach in the SEC, at the time last weekend, Georgia had the number one class in the SEC, to Auburn, which has hot seat, which has coaching instability written all over it, and the worst class right now in the SEC, even, be, even behind Ole Miss and Vanderbilt and Missouri, the programs that are really, really struggling, I just never saw it from a logistics standpoint. You can say start all you want. I don't think Bo Hughley, even though he's a top 100 player, and I believe he's still the number 13 offensive tackle in the country, he to me is not a guy that's going to come right in and start start right away anywhere right now. Curious folks will watch him and they see, oh, he plays right tackle for Langston Hughes. Well, he's going to be a left tackle in college, but why is he playing right tackle in high school ball? That's answered pretty simply. His quarterback is a left-hander, Prentice Air Nolan, at Langston Hughes, probably one of the top eight quarterbacks in the country in that class. And that's why they got Bo at right tackle, protecting his blind side in high school football. I wouldn't say it's much ado about nothing, Brandon, but it's about what you can drum up with a recruiting prospect that's talking to schools and listening to schools uh, in the month of July and the month of August. Uh, we've followed the story a little bit this week of Gabe Harris. That's the four-star edge commit to Georgia who was trying to play senior season at Valdosta but has had – his eligibility request denied and I get a chance to appeal that I guess but uh young man kind of move over from uh, Thomas County Central like how big of a deal is, is this Jeff because my, my understanding is that if he loses the appeal and he is ruled ineligible he can't go back to Thomas County Central either that that if he tries to play a Valdosta and is told that he can then all of a sudden he can't play anywhere now we've seen Georgia players before kind of thrive after not playing a senior season for different reasons than this but how big of a deal is it that one of Georgia's commits is at, at the moment unsure and facing the possibility of not getting a chance to play for a senior season? Kind of disappointing because I think Gabe Harris had really shown a lot of promise under Shelton Felton at Valdosta. There were some rough edges to his game that appeared to be getting refined at Valdosta through the last three or four months. And Brandon, it is what it is. It's the bona fide move bingo dance, man. We hear it every year with transfers and eligibility. Was it a bona fide move? Um, apparently the Georgia High School Association has ruled. I think the big thing is you want to see Gabe Harris playing somewhere, whether there's some new wonky interpretive GHSA rule where Gabe Harris becomes eligible somewhere else far across the state. Who knows? But for me, the one thing you want with Gabe Harris, really impressive prospect. I think he's a number 113 overall. I think he's probably maybe 40, 40 spots better than that, top 75 overall recruit. That's what he looks like to me. And the really the main thing with Gabe is you want to get him playing somewhere, whether it's a Florida school where those rules are a lot more liberal than most, or maybe it's at a boarding school like IMG Academy. You just want Gabe Harris to have senior year, uh, keep getting better, keep working, and getting ready to enroll early at Georgia in January. And you probably know more about this than I do, but my understanding is is that the the rule that he's potentially going to kind of bump up against actually relates back to what, I guess, last year when Jay Garcia transferred to Valdosta, got ruled ineligible there, and ended up going to play in Grayson. And I guess that's kind of what they're trying to stop here, which is a player having a eligibility rejected at one school only to go and play at a different Georgia school 
So maybe there's no easy way to enforce this rule because some people didn't like the way that played out with Garcia a year ago. But gosh, this just seems excessively punitive, especially at a time in which, and, and as I said before, Jeff, you know much more about this than I do, but it doesn't seem like anybody's eligibility is ever denied. That people just transfer and play on teams all the time. Like, like why is poor Gabe Harris the only guy who can't transfer? Yeah, you've heard some things about, you know, there's also a hardship issue, whether he moved initially or whether his family moved or whether it was job-related. Brandon, these tales are old as times. As time. He probably could write a book about the guys that go through the gauntlet to get eligibility or move somewhere because of some other thing, uh, and they play, and they end up playing. It's one of those things where the main thing is this is a young person his senior year. You want them to have that senior year of high school football, even if they're going to have three or four great years of football of high school football in Athens. Um, this is a guy, quite simply, from the Georgia football fans, thinking fan standpoint, you know Gabe Harris is not going to get better. He's not going to get stronger. He's not going to play better unless he's playing. And that's the key development piece, piece of development you want to see here with this Gabe Harris story. All right, so I want to kind of go through for a couple of minutes here sort of what's next for Georgia because, as I mentioned when you joined us on the phone, the high school practices have started. We have scrimmages all across the state here tonight. You've got Georgia back on the practice field there as well. You had a very busy weekend last weekend to conclude the month of July, the live period for that month, that that, that particular weekend. But what happens now for recruiting now that both the college and the high school guys are sort of turning their attention back to the season at hand here? How is the uh, next couple of weeks on the recruiting timeline going to look, Jeff? Well, there's no visits, but I, I like to look at this as an incubation or for those that like to smoke meat. This is the part where you're just going to let things throw something on the grill and let it get to work. I mean, there are a lot of guys that develop strong feelings about a school or strong feelings away from a school over the month of uh, June, and then they have some reinforcement late in the month of July. Now you're going to see what kind of seeds, uh, what develops from those seeds and what germinates in the month of August, there will be no visits, but there'll be some decisions made still. A lot of recruits like it because it gets the time for them to pull back and just think and double down on what their raw emotions are about their decisions. For Georgia, I kind of look at it as Georgia's got to figure out, A, is their running back going to be in the class? Who's that running back that's going to show up on the radar? Is it a guy? Right now, Georgia's only offered nine running backs in the class, 10 if you count the St. Louis athlete Jeremiah Love. Seven of those guys are committed. Is Georgia going to go after um, an uncommitted guy, perhaps like a guy out in California, Roderick Robinson II, who's currently committed to UCLA? Are they going to look for an in-state name at running back? That's one of the decisions. What's one of the things to watch and monitor? I think what Georgia's going to do at offensive tackle, whether it's Freeling or solidify Hughley or just watch, watch both Hughley go through his process, that's a big piece of the fall storylines for Georgia to look at with recruiting. What's going to happen at quarterback, Brandon? Does, does Georgia just focus on that 2024 quarterback and start moving forward in that direction with building the 2024 class around a five-star quarterback? Julian Sayan is a big name there. We had a story on him earlier this week. How Really, NIL, unlike the last three multi-million dollar deals that are being thrown the, towards the 2023 quarterbacks out of California, you want to talk about high school associations with really – Willy Wonka rules. I mean, that's one of those right there, Brandon, where I think California is one of 13 schools in the country, 13 states in the country, where young men can sign NIL deals right now, get paid. They can endorse a surf shop in their neighborhood if they want to, and they would still retain their high school eligibility. 
Um, Louisiana is one of those as well. There's a few across the state. Not many of those in SEC country, though. But, you know, the quarterback position, you know, what's happening there with Georgia not taking a 2023 quarterback, there's some juice and there's some noise to that story as well. So there's a few things going on with Georgia recruiting. Right now they stand number three in the country. So maybe the last big piece I look at is, and that edge position's got to get refilled, Brandon. And is it is it a guy like Damon Wilson, a guy that I think Georgia's in really good shot, a good shot with behind the scenes? Is it Samuel and Pemba, who's already declared that Georgia's going to get an official visit this fall? Is it that tantalizing two dudes who will play together? Notice, Brandon, I'm not using that word uh, that rhymes with let's make a deal right. uh, about those two guys. I just think they're two talented dudes that want to play together. Um, they've got uh, so an official visit left to Alabama on the books in December. They've already seen Auburn and Georgia. That duo will come back to Georgia for a game this fall, I'm confident. And then you look at that and you're like, who else is in it for James Smith, a five-star defensive lineman, Quay Russell, a five-star outside linebacker. You've got Miami, you've got Texas, you've got Texas A&M, you've got Ohio State. They just took a visit to Florida this past weekend. Now, these are two different dudes, man. They do not like the recruiting. And it might be a situation where one of those guys is like, you know what, I know you don't love, love, love this school, but I really love this school. Let's go there. And I think that could probably happen between those two where they're like, all right, let's, let's both go there. We can both make it work there. And in this crazy world of NIL and immediate eligibility and collectives, these two guys kind of make it seem a lot more like 1999 than we're accustomed to. All right, so you mentioned a lot there. I want to give you three rapid-fire, quick question, quick answer responses to what you just mentioned a moment ago. Before, still, let me remind folks that we are on the road assisted by AAA with Jeff Sintel here today, and obviously we love AAA for legendary roadside assistance. In fact, I told you this before, of the day, uh, we actually had a pretty serious situation in my family where we had to use AAA and had to have them come pick us up and tow our car, and it was, it was like a real thing, and we're always thankful for them on that. But I also want you to know uh, AAA when it comes to your home insurance there as well because they got you really well taken care of when it comes to that because when you switch your home insurance to AAA, you can take advantage of their claim forgiveness, which is amazing, which means that your first claim is going to be completely forgiven when you're insured and claim-free with insurance through AAA for five years. So that's the kind of stability they want to provide you, long-term relationship, you benefiting from that relationship when you're with AAA throughout the long haul. So take advantage of their claim forgiveness opportunity today. And if you want to find out more about this, go to AAA.com slash home insurance. That website, once again, AAA.com slash home insurance. 833-718-2075. Also the phone number you can dial. 833-718-2075. Also for that. All right, Jeff, very quickly here. A lot of what you just mentioned. I think a lot of us saw Roderick Robinson, the UCLA running back commit. He did get that sort of official offer tweet the other day at the same time everybody else did. Uh, does that mean that Robinson really is a real consideration for George in this class? And I guess also kind of a quick answer of, if that be the case, how good is he really for a player that maybe some of us are just kind of acquainting ourselves here with pretty quickly? First of all, he's a huge back, Brandon. I know everybody knows Del McGee likes him big. He's about six one and a half, about 220, uh, at least on the scales. Uh, he actually plays for the same high school that one of my former childhood heroes, Marcus Allen, plays for at Lincoln High, played for in Lincoln High School in San Diego. I think what he tweeted out, Brandon, was just one of those. He tweeted out to everybody um, the official offers that came on August the 1st that Georgia you know, was one of those schools that extended the official offer. Of course, he's committed to UCLA right now. I wonder how much he wants to go play in the Big Ten versus the SEC. He's a guy that I would kind of put, man, I'm going to probably 
couch this by saying there's a lot of things that are in the wait and see mode to see how they develop senior year for the running back spot at Georgia. Also, and once again, we'll make this kind of rapid fire here. You mentioned uh, Quay Russo and uh, Smith. You know, there are a lot of Georgia fans who think that Georgia owes it to Alabama to get these players out of the Yellowhammer State when the Crimson Tide has done so well in the Peach State here this year. And we've obviously well documented all those wins for Alabama. Uh, how realistic that Georgia can return the favor here and steal a couple of big prospects out of Nick Saban's backyard? I think it's realistic. Is it likely? That's a different question. For me, I look at Georgia's board, and you know, who knows exactly what the board is or how it changes. But you got to sit there and you got to go, Jordan, big baby Hall, Brandon. I moved him to the number one top target list on Georgia's list like a couple weeks ago because I think he's as good as Georgia can get on the defensive line this fall. Where does James Smith fall in line with that? Where does Quay Russo fall in line with uh, Samuel Impemba and Damon Wilson? These are all interchangeable five-star talents to me, and it'll be very interesting when you put into that mix that. Those two dudes want to play together. I think these two guys are so good, nobody's going to tell them no. And what eventually, Brandon, let's just face it, I'm going to be – the only thing that's going to surprise me about um, Clay Russo and James Smith is if they don't play ball together at the same spot. And right now, it feels like Alabama and Georgia have been the likely landing spots for the longest time. And then last thing for you, and I'm sure this will become the kind of repetitive question that we revisit a lot here, but you mentioned a story that you had at Dog Nation on Julian Say, and I believe you've also got one coming up uh, fair and balanced here on the 2024 quarterback Jaden Davis there as well, who was at Georgia this past weekend. Between Davis and Say, and some fans maybe like one, some fans maybe like the other, but in terms of Georgia's perspective here, is there one of these 2024 quarterbacks that Georgia favors over the other at the moment, the best that you can tell? Let's see what, Brandon. It's very political. It's like there, it's developing to be for 2024, the ticket would be, are you on the Saiyan side of the aisle or are you on the Davis side of the aisle? For me, I think both of them have a lot to show early on in their junior season. Julian told me that he's kind of he's kind of thinking around October-ish, uh, maybe, not in stone, don't put that in the world uh, on the right in stone yet, but he's thinking October-ish might be a thing where he might look around and say, okay, this is where I'm at. Maybe I'm ready to commit. Uh, I think with both of them, there's some really good first three or four games of junior tape evaluation to do. I know Jaden Davis grew up in Duluth. First offer was from Georgia back in July, excuse me, June of 2019. Man, that seems like a long time ago. Um, he is reclassified. Uh, he would be a 2023. Now he's a 2024. Brandon, it's a really important season for him at Providence Day because he's finally got an offensive line in front of him. Finally got receivers. He's got a guy like Chad Greer, who's a very accomplished, offensive-minded head coach that loves to throw the ball. Of course, he's the father of former Florida and West Virginia quarterback Will Greer. So, I mean, this stat this year, you really get to see a lot of what Jaden Davis is all about. These are two five-star quarterbacks, Brandon. I think one's the number two, one's the number five, both top 20 overall prospects. I don't think Georgia can go wrong with either one of them. It's more of an example of where they can go right the most. Uh, that's a very, very interesting look at all that, Jeff. And can't read to con- I should say, can't wait to continue to follow that story, obviously, with a lot of your writing there at adognation.com. So we appreciate it, Jeff. Hope you have a great weekend, and we will look forward to getting a chance to talk to you next week here as we go on the road assisted by AAA once again. Brandon, I got one rapid fire for you, buddy. I got to know your take on that national championship Coke bottle, the one people have been waiting 40-something years for, man. What did you think of that one that kind of slid into the 
morning presser day one at Georgia yesterday. Yeah, I thought it was kind of cool. I think the uh, sort of like UGA looking thing. I mean, I, you know, to me, it's hard to replace like the like the sort of iconic status of the 1980 Coke bottle that so many of us grew up having, and in recent years, so many of us wondered if we'd ever have another one. So. In one respect, it's kind of cool to sort of see the new Coke bottle. In other respects, you know, it's like a little different than kind of what you've seen in the past. But I will tell you, it was really nice to see it sitting up on that podium yesterday. I know Kirby's ready to turn the page and think about 2022. And obviously, the Georgia coaches and players should do that. But know that Georgia is well represented by another Coke bottle after a generation of us have stared at the same one for such a long time. That's a uh, that's a nice thing to be able to consider. Safe to say you're going to buy several of those for every member of the family at your local Kroger. Oh, I would imagine that's definitely the case, Jeff, for sure. Thanks a lot. Take it easy, buddy. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, so the uh, new Coke bottles are out, and it's fun to see, and it is kind of cool. I mean, like I said, uh, that's the kind of thing I literally think everybody had one of those Coke bottles from 1980. I mean, I mean, I, it's one of those things where, like, People were collecting them because they thought they were going to be worth something, but there were so many of them that they're just there wasn't enough scarcity to truly drive up the value as a collectible. Now it's older now, so kind of having one in good condition now might be something. There was like the Coca-Cola tray from back then that I think actually did have some collector value there for a while because there were a lot fewer of those, and some of you had one of those trays. I think those were actually kind of worth something. The Coke bottles never quite were, but they were in also in other respects sort of priceless because they um you know they they obviously signified something so great and something so cool and when the you know the, the game first happened they kind of came out with sort of like a generic national championship coke bottle for a while and people were like wait is this it is this all there is and uh now they've kind of got something that is a little bit more befitting of of what a national championship coke bottle should be so uh, that was kind of a fun thing and obviously it was nice to see that sitting on the podium there after you know it's become such a staple of these press conferences to have the product placement bottle sitting there uh so yeah that was kind of a nice thing uh and yeah there you go that's the uh that's the uh, coke bottle if you're watching a video you see this ugga wearing the crown like it when i first saw it i i didn't notice the ugga part of it i was like well that's that that's kind of bland that's kind of plain but then when you see the ugga down there at the bottom that really is pretty cool i mean that really is really nice and it's the kind of kind of the contour shape that you're sort of famous for when it comes to coke um i do like soda a lot i could drink that right now i'm trying to stay away from the uh, fully leaded sugar sodas but uh, i do like that um but great to collect those nice to see those again i'm guessing there will be a good number of those sort of spread all over the place so we'll give a little love to coke there on that because that is a pretty cool looking bottle maybe we'll put one right next to our buddy eddie here as a way of celebrating that national championship for the uh georgia bulldogs uh although we're probably gonna ask coke for a little something on that if we're gonna leave him on the desk uh anyway that's a that's a, a different topic for a different day but nonetheless happy to see the georgia bulldogs celebrated in style by our friends there at coca-cola let's turn our attention speaking of celebrating in style we'll get to the georgia bulldogs in a moment last night from the nfl hall of fame game before that though i do want to remind you cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean and another chance for you to take advantage of what has been a great saving opportunity ongoing from our friends at royal caribbean they've had kids sale free they've had 30 percent off all sailors uh not sailors as in 
when you're sailing on the Royal Caribbean cruise. You get my point on that. Uh, but they've had this great sale going on right now. A great chance to take advantage of a wonderful Royal Caribbean cruise vacation at a really good price. So I hope you'll check that out. Uh, you can, our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority can help you with it. It's tcava.com. That's the website, tcava.com. You can also give them a call, 770-952-8300. That's 770-952-8300. A lot of you have been kind of waiting for that perfect moment to book your Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. This is the time to do that, whether you want to sail towards the you know fall into the end of 2022 or start thinking early 2023 book it now and take advantage of this great savings opportunity kids sale free 30 percent off all cruisers uh that's a great opportunity for you right now and our friends the cruise and vacation authority can help you out with all that one more time their contact information website tcava.com phone number 770-952-8300 hope you'll check that out a lot of you also checked out the uh, hall of fame game last night on nbc kind of the start of what is I mean, basically at least one football game every week now through February, which is fun to consider. And it was fun last night. I know there was a weather delay to start, but when the action got going, you saw a lot of Georgia Bulldogs out there. Trayvon Walker showing off his pass rushing prowess, something he was kind of dinged for a little bit in the NFL draft, but uh, obviously taking number one overall. And I think if you're a Jaguars fan last night, you came away liking what you saw from him. Uh, Zamir White on the other side of the Raiders got a lot of usage and made good use of that had more than 50 yards rushing averaged more than five yards carry so uh, good stuff from uh, White there on that also a lot of love for Richard Seymour who's about to go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame there in Canton and it's one of those great dogs that kind of you know you know goes back a good number of years but another guy kind of adding to that legacy of Georgia and if you're watching last night not only were you pretty happy about just having football back but i think you were happy as well of just how much of a presence georgia was during this game the same way that it is literally every single super bowl it seems like we're always talking about some georgia guy in a, in a prominent role in the super bowl including this most recent with matthew stafford helping lead the way for the rams and winning it and getting over the hump for his career for the first time and then you go back to the draft where the draft conversation certainly the combine conversation was dominated by uga there is clearly a lot to be said for how uh george is leveraging nfl stuff for its benefit obviously we've said a million times before nfl will always be worth more than nil and it's not that georgia doesn't want to play that game and be a part of that but ultimately hopefully everybody has the long-range view of this is that as wise people have said before later is just longer and setting yourself up to make a lot of money in the future is always almost always uh, the better way to go and that's what the nfl kind of all about here and clearly uh georgia guys leveraging that to their benefit right now or at least potentially doing that and obviously with a guy like seymour going to the hall of fame that's kind of a fun thing to uh, think about too so that is really cool i saw where uh south carolina coach shane beamer is talking a little bit about marshawn lloyd now a lot of you know the story with lloyd the uh former running back who's actually a recruiting target of georgia at one point in time and chose the South Carolina Gamecocks. And I'd say that the first couple of years for Lloyd in a Gamecocks uniform have been somewhat marred by injury. He played a decent amount last year, but maybe not at a fully healthy clip. He didn't have big numbers for the Gamecocks a year ago. But he was really praised by Beamer here to kind of kick off their own fall camp. And this, to me, continues to be one of the most interesting things for South Carolina because if you go back and look at, well, how come the Will Muschamp era didn't kind of finish the way that maybe he – probably hoped it would thought it would and you know you kind of go back to some of brian mcclendon's tenure there as well one of the things that south carolina had a hard time doing back then was running the football that was one of the real sort of glaring weaknesses of kind of previous versions of south carolina just you know 
you know, get enough good running backs, healthy running backs, whatever. But, you know, that's one of the issues you kind of had with the Gamecocks. One of the reasons why that's been a program that's had a hard time breaking through is sort of finding that great rushing attack. And a guy like Lloyd, you know, having not been healthy is kind of one of the reasons why that maybe turned out to be true. You didn't have Marshawn Lloyd, a guy that could have maybe contributed for you. But if you take Shane Beamer at his word now, that's a guy that that has a chance to to do some of that. And so if you're kind of wondering, well, how good is South Carolina in an SEC East that in a few different spots has a chance to be a little bit better? Tennessee has a chance to be better than it's been. Kentucky has a chance to sort of maintain what it's been. A lot of folks wonder what the opportunity is for a first-year Billy Napier at Florida. And South Carolina, who what really was one of the surprise teams a year ago, kind of where do they factor into uh, a, a lot of all of this? And obviously, it's a big road game for Georgia early in the season. It's not just the, the, the presence of Spencer Rattler. I think we have a tendency sometimes kind of fixate too much on quarterbacks at the expense of other things that actually really matter. And having a competent running game to be paired with Spencer Rattler is going to be very important for South Carolina. And the guy like Lloyd that's a blue chip recruit that was a big recruiting win for the Gamecocks when it got when it got him and it hasn't quite panned out as of yet but if you listen to Shane Beamer saying some of the stuff that he's been saying it sounds like that might be on its way to happening uh that could be interesting finally there's this from the uh world of the SEC a lot of you saw where Auburn quarterback TJ Finley was arrested I guess he tried to evade uh police doing one of those sort of like routine stop type deals where they have like the blockade set up or the traffic stop i guess he tried to evade them there on that and you know broke some traffic laws in the midst of doing that allegedly and has had to turn himself into police because of that honestly i don't know how serious that is one way or another i simply don't know uh but i did think the reaction to this was kind of interesting from like some people in the national media seem to think that finley was on his way to being the auburn starting quarterback and i think the people closer to the situation certainly auburn fans themselves a, they don't want that to be true, and B, if you follow Auburn fans closely, I think they're pretty convinced Zach Calzada is going to be their quarterback. So a little bit of an interesting example of sometimes the disconnect that exists. You know, for a guy like Calzada, who played great against Alabama a year ago, but didn't really play very well against really anybody else after uh, Haynes King, the original starting quarterback, had gotten injured. Calzada did not have a great year, but did play great against Alabama but coming to Auburn, it really seems like he is the one with the leg up in that competition, probably over T.J. Finley. And while you never want one of your quarterbacks arrested right before the start of uh, practice, this is not, as it was kind of projected or portrayed, the you know uh, uh, likely Auburn starting quarterback running afoul of the law. I mean, if anything, you know Finley's the likely backup quarterback there, but nonetheless, a little bit of a tricky situation for Auburn who's had a lot of tricky situations thus far this offseason and I guess the uh, one-time LSU transfer Finley and his arrest here for the traffic violation the latest example of that we will make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean and here on Dog Nation Daily we always love to kind of close out our Friday with an idea towards a great weekend that's on its way and a lot of times many of you kind of doing the same thing you're hoping to sort of finish up at work and get your time in so you can do what you want to do on the weekend this becomes especially true as we head towards the football season but for now there's still some remnants of the enjoyment of summer taking place and with that in mind let's do our big finish here today courtesy of our friends at the finish long drink and we got a great tweet recently from my buddy matt Forshe, who checks in to say uh that he find this is actually you know from last summer but it feels very appropriate here a year later saying i finally gave in to be a suggestion when i got some finished long drink the stuff is perfect for pool time when the heat index 
is 109 as it was this time a year ago and it's gonna be very hot again right now too so for those of you getting ready to enjoy some pool time here this weekend kind of getting the most you can out of summer before football season begins do this weekend like matt did this time a year ago in the weekend which is enjoy yourself some finished long drink looks like matt's enjoying that long drink draw long drink strong which is eight and a half percent alcohol by volume that's a good time or if you want the long drink traditional or the long drink cranberry the long drink zero no carbs no sugar if you go to the longdrink.com you can figure out which variety sounds right for you and you can also find out where you can pick some up to enjoy the pool or to uh, enjoy while you're playing golf a lot of golf courses stock this up a lot of bars a lot of beverage stores near you all kinds of really fun things so make sure you check that out and enjoy that our friends at the finish long drink they bring the big finish to you each and every friday right here on dog nation daily and as we wrap up let's get ready to give you a golden shoe you know one of the things that we uh, talked about off the top of the program was the excuse making from nick saban and the whining that seems to go on and Georgia fans certainly have a good time with all of that in fact that's the theme of our golden shoe submission here today so let's make sure we show that to you our buddy we are dog nation weighing in to say here's a summary of baby nikki this offseason you see nick saban's face superimposed in the body of a baby in a diaper and that famous sign in the football building there in alabama the no excuses xed out some excuses i think we are dog nations right on this one right on indeed it seems like nick saban has been a little whiny little baby here a little bit and the idea that there are no excuses at alabama evidence to the contrary thus far this offseason even paul feinbaum called him out for that how about the lousy stinking gators they're no better long title drop for them 4957 days and our gator hater countdown 85 days from now dogs back in jacksonville enjoying the cocktail party while we can beating up on florida once again y'all have a great weekend we'll see you back here monday for dog nation daily presented by kroger and on the podcast i'm now at the rs andrews podcast cool down take your comments here on dognation.com or on twitter at dog nation daily great way for you to send in your thoughts and have them read right here we talked yesterday a little bit about the uh topic from the other day related to georgia and ohio state and kind of what might be a little bit of a benefit of the doubt extended to the Buckeyes that's not maybe being extended to Georgia and kind of maybe what that means if you're a UGA fan. And, they were, you know, uh, folks still kind of weighing in on that. Ten Dog checks in here at dognation.com to say, to say uh, well, who did Ohio State beat that would scare anyone? That's right. Is this the same Ohio State team that all the press gets excited about or are they the usual suspects? We likely won't know to the playoffs unless like last year they uh, get boat raced by a michigan team that uga schooled and in this discussion related to georgia and ohio state while we don't sort of fall all over ourselves about well so-and-so beat so-and-so who beat so-and-so the fact of the matter is is that michigan handled ohio state and they thought they were going to beat georgia and it was fairly obvious fairly quickly they didn't belong in the same field with uga like that is a difference that that has to matter here and the whole point we made about Ohio State going back to uh, earlier in the week on the show is, is this just sort of taken as a given because of the things that Ryan Day recently said, because of what some of the media and, you know, in one case, anonymous coach quoted in our show the other day that Ohio State had a bad defense a year ago and it's just sort of miraculously fixed because they hired, you know, Jim Knowles, the former coordinator at Oklahoma State. We think that Knowles is a good coach. We think this was a good hire. We think, though, that Ohio State was barely a top 40 defense a year ago. That's not the kind of thing that you make, you know, wave a magic wand over and totally make disappear. So I think that's a consideration, you know, worth paying attention to. 
um casey asked who on ohio state's defense do you think would even get starter snaps on georgia's defense and that's once again you know kind of the comparison here that both sides of the ball matter gotta be great on offense gotta be great on defense to win a national championship you can't only be great on just the one and pretty clearly ohio state's gonna have if i had to guess they'll probably have the best offense in the country here this year but if last year is our guide they will still be held back and maybe dragged down by a defense that just isn't at that same level in case he kind of points that out there so good comments fun stuff i'll also let you know that monday show we're going to be live recording it for you as the, on the podcast from the corky kell luncheon so we'll have some fun maybe some special surprises on board for all of that but uh didn't want to let you know that's going to be the story there on monday so we'll check you out then for dog nation daily presented by kroger between now and then hope you have a great weekend also big thanks to rs andrews for making the podcast cool down possible find them online rsandrews.com for your air conditioning heating plumbing and electric needs including getting your water heater replaced the same day if you run into an issue that's always good news so rsandrews.com for more and we'll see you back here again on monday